The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker, Rev. Eric Landry, pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Temecula, California, and executive editor of Modern Reformation Magazine. The scripture text is James 5:13 through 20 The views and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Exodus chapter 5, please. Exodus chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at the end of the chapter, verse 22, and take us through Exodus chapter 6, verse 30. Actually, excuse me, to uh, verse 13. Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 5 and 6 are the story of Moses' inauspicious beginning of ministry. Armed with the call of God and a few cool signs that he picked up at the seminary of the burning bush, Moses understandably expects Pharaoh to capitulate when he comes and presents the call of the living God to let his people go. But instead of Pharaoh relenting, Moses is embarrassed. He's shown to be an ineffective leader, 
He's unable to persuade Pharaoh to let Israel go. He's vulnerable even to the frustration of Israel, who at the end or at the beginning of chapter 5 are so excited to have Moses come as a deliverer, but by the end of chapter 6 are broken in spirit. Why? Because Pharaoh has refused to listen. And not only refusing to listen, he has doubled Israel's labor by causing them to go out and find straw to make their own bricks. Moses is confronted with his failure and with his weakness. And friends, that's one of the scariest things that can happen to us as individuals, but particularly for those of us who are called to serve in leadership in Christ's church. It's scary when it happens to any of us. It's one of the reasons why an addict finds it so hard to say, yes, I do have a problem. Because it means that they're confronted with their weakness, maybe for the very first time. They're being honest about it. It's one of the reasons I've seen in marriage counseling that marriages break before people ever realize that they actually need to find help to, to, to bolster where they're weak in their relationships. And it's one of the reasons that pastors, unfortunately, project a false and damaging image of strength and competence when ultimately it's a sham because they're trying as hard as they can to pretend that everything is okay when it's not really okay. Too many of us buy into the false confidence that comes when we project images of strength. We don't get what the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, about the Old Testament saints, that they were made strong out of their weakness. To us, strength and weakness don't belong together. They're opposites. But they do belong together. And that's demonstrated for us here in Exodus chapter 6. This story starts and ends in weakness. It starts and ends with Moses complaining to God. It starts and ends with Israel not believing Moses. The characters in this section of Exodus begin the story frustrated, wounded, broken, and bruised. And by the time you get to the end of the story, they're in exactly the same place. So how are they made strong out of weakness? It's not by anything that they bring to the table. There are no victorious Christian living stories in this text. God must be the one who acts, and he does act. He acts by reasserting his presence and his power, and the people find that their strength is in his promises, in his promise to go to war for them, rather than anything that they are able to bring to the table or any great deed that Moses does for them. Exodus chapter 6 is an important study, I think, for those of us who are in leadership in the church, who are preparing for leadership in the church, because it's the means and the message of a ministry that is made strong out of weakness. Most of chapter 6, as you heard me read, is a long divine speech in which God reveals his name, his covenant promises, and his plan for Israel. Then the pivotal verse is verse 7. Look again at that with me of chapter 6. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
I think one of the reasons that Moses was so frustrated at the beginning of the passage that we read there in chapter 5, verse 22, was because he misunderstood his role in this whole process. He misunderstood exactly what God was going to do. He thought that he would be the means that God would use to rescue his people Israel. And when he failed, he thought that God had failed. But God gently, so gently, corrects Moses' line of sight. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Now you shall see what I will do. Six times in Exodus chapter 6, God declares what he will do. Verse 6, I will bring you out. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. In verse 7, I will take you to be my people. In verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham. I will give it to you for a possession. Do you think that Moses got the point? It's not about you, Moses. It's not about your clever speeches. It's not about even the signs that I gave to you. Instead, I am the deliverer of Israel. I am the Lord. Only God can do the work that, require, that, it's, that is required to rescue the people of Israel. Moses is certainly necessary, but he's not the deliverer. Recognizing his inability doesn't cast, shouldn't cast him into despair should actually make him a more effective leader of his people. His confidence won't be placed in himself. His confidence will be placed in God. He can direct others to hope and have confidence in God themselves, too. Now, what's fascinating about Exodus chapter 6 is after kind of going to the Lord and complaining to God, God doesn't give Moses any new word to bring back to Pharaoh or to bring back to the people of Israel. He isn't given a new word from the Lord. He's told to go back to Israel to repeat the same message that they've already heard. And I love Moses' honesty in verse 9. But, or not in verse 9, in uh, verse 12. Behold, the people of Israel haven't listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? God, you don't understand. This word hasn't worked. What am I supposed to do with this word? Well, he's sent back to Israel with the same word. He's sent back to Pharaoh with the same word. He is not free to devise his own message. I think if Moses was anything like me, he would go back to Israel with a message that would seem to relieve them of some of their weakness. It would seem to help them try to find a way through their weakness. Instead, he goes to them in weakness, theirs and his, and he tells them that God is at work. How is God at work for this people? Well, we read in verse 6 of chapter 6 of God's outstretched arm going to war for his people, exercising great judgment. And of course, we know that that is prefiguring the ten plagues that soon engulf Egypt. But as he pours out his judgment on Egypt, Israel is spared. How does this judging activity relate to us today? If we are supposed to find our means and our message for ministry in a text like this, how do we understand God's judgment? Is God going to war against the people that hold his people in bondage today? Maybe at your churches, like at my church, we regularly pray now for the members of Christ's church 
who suffer under persecution in Syria and in Iraq and in Egypt? Do we expect God's great strong right arm of judgment to unleash plagues in those countries like he did to Egypt with ancient Israel? No, because a funny thing happened between Exodus and today. We are not poor, downtrodden Israel held under slavery. We are also Pharaoh and Egypt. We are the ones who actively resist God. We are the ones who rebel against God. We are the ones who are subject to his judgment. But rather than go to war against us, God turned the battle inward bore the pains of his own judgment so that we who look in faith to Jesus receive the benefits of being redeemed from the burden of our sin. See, folks, this is the means and the message of our ministry. As Moses declares these truths and performs these signs of judgment through the rest of Exodus, God acts. For those of you who will have the privilege of preaching to God's people, as you deliver God's, both, both of God's words of law and gospel, God acts. But unlike Israel, where as you go out and do this, you're going to face some of the same frustrations that Moses faced. Your congregations will act a whole lot like Israel. They'll want to know why, is it, why there isn't more being done. And you will suffer some of the same temptations that Moses has. You will complain that God is not really being faithful to his promises. You see, we all want God to work immediately. We want God to solve the, the, the problems that are, in face, that are facing us as we look out at the faces of our congregation. We want God to do something extraordinary. But instead, God gives us his promise. And he says, this is the new word. It's the same as the old word. You've got to go back and give it to the people so that they can believe that word because that's their real problem. They haven't believed that word yet. Slowly, as God does his work among us, we will believe. Slowly, our eyes will be opened. Slowly, our hope will be restored. The temptation will be great to relieve yourself or your congregations of their weakness. The temptation will be great to find strength apart from weakness. But it's only as you hear his promises and believe God's promises, it's only at that point that you are truly made strong in your weakness. It's only as you honestly deal with your sin, even as a leader of God's people, that you know the strength of your Savior. And it's only as we deal honestly with our doubts as the people of God that we know God as our comforter. It's only as we deal honestly with our fears that we know God as our deliverer. You are in a time of safety right now at seminary where people expect you to be weak. People expect you to not have all of the right answers. Cultivate that. Don't leave that behind when you go and stand behind a pulpit. Don't pretend that you have all of the right answers, that you have all of the wisdom that everybody out in front of you lacks. Cultivate the ability to be made strong out of your weakness now. 
not out of a sense of false piety, of pretending like you're just a sinner like the rest of us, but truly understanding your sin and your brokenness so that you can truly minister to the sin and to the brokenness of the people who sit in front of you. That's how you're going to lead your congregation out of Egypt. That's how you're going to lead them out of slavery to sin and misery. You're not going to do it out of your own strength. You're going to do it out of the weakness that has become the strength because it's the strength of your Savior. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are scared of weakness. We're scared of how it makes us look. We're scared of the results. We're scared that the people won't listen. We're scared that the powers that be won't recognize our prophetic voice. And yet, Lord, it's in that place of recognizing our own need that we are brought face to face with the great provision that you have made for us in Christ. Lord, enable us, encourage us, and equip us with the promises of the gospel so that we do not turn away from them seeking some more extraordinary word to give to our congregations or even to convince ourselves with. Instead, Lord, bring us back day by day, Sunday by Sunday, to the strength that is found in a suffering Savior, in a Savior that still bears in his glorified body the marks of his death. Father, let us find in him all of our hope, all of our righteousness, and all of our satisfaction for our ministry and for our life. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.